Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Skate Podcast on weei.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years... The Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn f***ing It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 84 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Fleece, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Since we last recorded, a couple of exciting wins. One over, well, Vegas, Columbus for sure, and then an exciting loss against the Kings. But overall, you know, very successful West Coast road trip and, um, you know, came back home and played a you know, pretty complete game up until um, – you know, the final 30 seconds and, and into overtime. So, um, you know, my general view on the team right now is besides the late goals are giving up, um, you know, I kind of feel relatively as good as I have about this team as I have all year. They're kind of starting to, they're kind of, put, you know, bring it up a notch as, as we get into the latter half of the season here and into playoffs. And, um, but some, some shit goals in the last 30 seconds. One, they were able to salvage in a shootout. The other one, they lost in overtime. But just where do you guys feel about this team after, what was it, a 5-1-1 one, one road trip? and 5-1-0. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you guys feel about them right now? I mean, you have to feel pretty good. Like, longest road trip of the season. It was their best six-game road trip in a decade. Uh, you know, a blowout win over the Kings out in L.A., uh, nice convincing win over Vegas, another playoff team. So, yeah, obviously you have to feel good about it overall. Uh, you know, the, the late goals are concerning in addition to the two most recent games where, uh, you know, you end up bouncing back and getting the shootout win over Columbus. You lose an overtime against the Kings Monday night at TD Garden in the first game back home. But then there was also that game in Anaheim, you know, their one loss on the road trip where they should at least be able to get that game to overtime and get a point. And instead, Craig Smith turns it over. Uh, Charlie McAvoy takes the penalty and the Ducks score the winner on the power play uh, in the, I think, 22 seconds left. So those late goals are concerning, but it doesn't detract from 
the road trip overall doesn't detract from how they've been playing or I should say it doesn't detract too much from, from how they've been playing recently. I think overall you still have to feel pretty positive and we can get into some of the specifics of these late goals because, you know, on the one hand, like there is a little bit of a common thread, but I feel like it's not, there's not enough there to like hit the panic button and be worried that this is some sort of trend where like now they're a terrible third period team or something. No, and, and if they were if they were worried about like their positioning in the playoffs, which I don't think they're they are. Um and now they're they're within striking distance of that third spot, but I don't think that I, I'm not sure how much they really care whether or not they move up or they don't they don't mind being the wild card spot, but that's when you would, you know, be disappointed about the fact that those games you don't get the points. Like that Anaheim game, <laughs> I was like I was ready for overtime, even though that one was like it was like one in the morning or whatever it was. And then just, it didn't happen. And I was like, okay, well that one, that one was pretty bad. Just because not because of, it hurts them really. It's just, it just felt bad. <laughs> I just thought like, okay, well they're going to get a point out of this. And then if they had, you know, they would, they would have had a, at least a point in every game on the road trip, but they didn't. I think that the main positive things that I noticed is just like Jeremy Swayman is incredible. Like he's really just kind of bloomed. Um, out there on the road trip and then coming back, you just have so much confidence in him. And even Olmark in his games hasn't played terrible, but you can start to see that that there is a different level between the two of them, which does help you uh, deciding, you know, what you're going to do in the playoffs. Yeah. And I thought, I thought Olmark did all he could in the uh, overtime session, just about with a, with a pretty phenomenal save against the Kings yesterday to, um, kind of have a statement win for himself. Oh yeah. He but, had uh, some really great, he had some really great saves in, in the game against the Kings. Yeah. Obviously they just couldn't get the job done, but uh, yes, I mean, the, the goaltending looks great overall. The other thing I would say that has jumped off the page to me is the uh, offensive confidence growing with the third line of Frederick Hoyle and, and Craig Smith. Last time we spoke, um, it was probably Craig Smith's darkest hour. He was in a massive goal slump. He had an uncharacteristic turnover that led to a power play chance and game-winning goal in Anaheim, um, game-winning goal against the Bruins. And since then, he has a hat-trick against Vegas. Um, and I might be forgetting, I think he may have scored against Columbus too, but but yeah. I know he scored against the Kings. Yeah, he has five goals so, in three games. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's feeling it. Um, Trent Frederick is... You know, he's he's getting some assists. He scored a goal against the Kings as well um, in a non-Trent Frederick fashion. It was an actual shot from the slot as opposed to, like, something going off his skate around the crease. Um, and Charlie Coyle, like, is, is is really driving that line with his puck protection. So they're turning into a third line that isn't just, you know, eating up um, good minutes where they're not being scored against. They're starting to, you know, eat up good minutes and get their offensive production and that's a good sign for the Bruins. Yeah, and that's where Smith getting going is so big because you're right, like that line was doing a good job in terms of possession. They weren't giving up much. I think I think they've probably given up a goal against now, but for a while they hadn't given up a single goal against at five on five. Uh, but they weren't scoring a ton, and that's where Smith comes in. Like he's the proven goal scorer on that line. He's the one who's going to have to kind of carry them in that area. He's going to get the most shots on goal out of those three. 
And now that he's started to find that with, you know, as you mentioned, five goals in three games, he's not going to stay at that pace, obviously, but just to get going and to start finding the back of the net and to start to do what you know he can do and what he did for the Bruins last year, it, it adds, uh, you know, a whole other dimension to that third line. Like, and it's what they need because right. You know, the, the idea wasn't that the Bruins need to improve their depth and be able to possess the puck and play defense. What they needed to improve on over last year was they needed a third line and, you know, a fourth, if you can get it, that can score, that can contribute offensively. And when Smith's going, now you have that. Um, you know, it is worth mentioning Charlie Coyle had horrible turnover on the overtime winner against the Kings, uh, just a blind backhand pass into the high slot that gets picked off and taken the other way for a breakaway. But that, that kind of comes back to like what I mean about why I'm not super, super worried about these late game goals because, you know, Smith has one coil has a turnover. McAvoy has been involved in a couple of, you know, had a penalty on one uh, last night has the tying goal, like bounce off him. He's in, you know, he's in a decent position. Like he's trying to cover Trevor Moore and a shot that's going way off net isn't even on target, just hits him and drops right to Moore's stick. You know, like those are guys that I'm going to generally trust in those situations. You know, I'm not panicking about McAvoy being on the ice for goals against. Like he's, he's one of the best defensemen in the NHL. I'll throw him right back out there next game. No problem. Coyle and Smith are usually pretty smart with the puck on their sticks. Uh, you know, yeah, they got to clean it up, but I'm not like throwing out my hands being like, oh, why, why are these guys so dumb when they have the puck on their stick? I don't know. I don't know. I saw a tweet from Scott last night. Charlie Coyle giveth and Charlie Coyle taketh away. He did he last went, night. He went yeah. all thespian on us last night with his, his Charlie Coyle tweet. But um, I, to add, to just kind of like summarize what you're saying, Scott, and add it to the list of positives that come out of the road trip, two, two things. You get two guys that were – in a slump going. I mean, this DeBrus comes alive. Craig Smith comes alive. Like you get two guys that were, that weren't producing to start producing and get some confidence. And secondly, because of how it's all worked out, how well Smith has fit with the third line and how well DeBrusque has done right away with the first line, you solidify, you know, your top three lines and you just only have to you know, decide who to rotate out, what to do with Felino on the fourth line, you know, who the personnel is on the fourth line. Well, we're back from the first intermission. Sorry about that. Uh, Brian has some shit Wi-Fi. I'm not local. I'm three hours behind you guys. So we have to... Brian's wandering around the California wilderness trying to find reception somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm fighting with a bobcat over a slice of bread. Um, (laughs) But... But yeah, so basically the last thing, so I have to change to my phone. So if you're hearing a, a bit of an audio difference, that's that. And I'll be back with these guys next week. But um, for now, we'll make, make the best of the situation. The last thing Bridget was talking about was some of the guys getting confidence over uh, the West Coast trip. And I agree with that. Um, 16 skaters recorded at least a point. And, you know, along with Craig Smith and um, was it Trent Frederick or somebody you said, but Jake uh, Eric so Jake DeBrus, thank you. Uh, Eric Hall is another guy who's, you know, continuing to play well in his second-line role. Um, I, I, I like the play of some uh, some defense. I think Mike Riley stepped up as well. Um, and just to address the Charlie Coyle thing, 
yes, he had a, a three-on-three blunder, but the good news is uh, that's three-on-three. That's not playoff format. So the, the Charlie Coyle giveth was the uh, the five-on-five play, which is important. Now I will throw it back to you guys because I'm, uh, I'm battling a surfer bro over here. Brian sounds like Brian in the car calling into this show. For first time long. I'll hang up. I'll, I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you're right. Like it's it's up and down the lineup. You know, look, I've been how long have I been saying that number two center is the priority, and you know, I don't trust Hollow there long term. But I mean, he keeps playing like this, and I feel like he he might prove me wrong. Like it might be good enough. He might. Yeah, on paper, he doesn't stack up to other number two centers in the league. But if he's the right fit between Hall and Pasternak, and so far he has been, maybe it works, especially if you're getting, you know, if you found a fit on the top line and DeBrusque has fit there now, we'll see if it yeah, continues so or if they trade him or what happens. You're getting you, you pull one piece out of this. And it all falls apart. Like you pull yes. one person out of this lineup and Hala all of a sudden is back to not being, you know, the number two center you need. So, you know, DeBrusque isn't going to be here. So he's out of, well, like, you don't know that. Well, let's just be real. He's probably like 90% chance he's gone. He asked, no, for, I, don't, I actually don't agree with that. I think you it's, don't agree with that. No, I, I don't. I don't mean this year. I'm saying if you're talking long-term, no, I'm talking about this year. I'm talking about them going. Oh, no, run. no, no, no. This year he's not leaving. Yeah, no, I don't I already, care. I've already said that over and over. I thought you just said long-term solution. No, no, no. I mean, like, long-term, like, rest of the season for oh, a playoff okay. run. Okay. Um, yeah, worry about next year once you get to the offseason. <laughs> but, yeah, for the, for the rest of this year, like, I, I think, you know, they may very well keep DeBrusque unless they get some sort of return or package that, you know, is of equal or greater value than what they're getting from DeBrusque. And, I don't think that's going to happen. So I would need to see it before I'm convinced that he's going to be moved. Uh, you know, to, to your point, like, yeah, if they got into a situation where they had to move Pasternak back to the top line, cause that line's struggling or whatever, then yeah, then, you know, that, that ruins your second line. Cause now it's just Hall and Hall. And you know, that, 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 that doesn't work as well. Pasternak is the key on that line. You know, we know what Hall, what Taylor Hall looked like early in the year. Without Pasanak, he struggled to get going. Um, you know, if you have to move Craig Smith back up in the lineup at some point, that throws your third line off. And now you're looking at, do you put Nick Foligno there? Do you call Oscar Steen up? You know, is Curtis Lazar there? Like, it's not great. So, yeah, to your point, take one piece out. It ruins the whole thing. But as it is right now, it, it looks pretty good. Like, things are are clicking. And, you know, I, I still think you definitely need to make, if you're Don Sweeney, one trade. But what I think has kind of been opened up here by finding some of these lines that have worked is I think Don Sweeney can just find the best deal, almost no matter what the position is. Like, I know there's still people who will say, you know, left side defense is the priority. Um I just think it's almost like best player available. Like whatever deal you can get, whether that's a center, a right wing, lefty, righty. I just think something that helps ele- take this roster to the next level because the Bruins have been playing better. They are clearly a playoff team. I think even as is how they're playing, they can at least compete with 
with any team out there in a seven game series, but if they're going to make a deep run, I think they definitely still need to add, um, I would say an impact player. And then if you can also add depth, like especially in defense, you know, things have gotten a little thin back there. Now, Earl Vakaninen was skating on Monday, uh, during morning skate, non-contact Jersey, but sounds like he's getting close. Matt Grizzly suffered some sort of injury during morning skate, missed Monday night's game, uh, could be back by Thursday, but it kind of shows, you know, like how quickly you can kind of get down to like your seventh, eighth, ninth defenseman. They go to Jack Ashan last night, who I thought started a little slow and, and seemed to kind of not be up to speed and then got better as the game went on. We've seen him have a couple good games at the NHL level, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of understandable. Yeah, I think, but I will say um, on the broadcast, Jack had a lot of praise for him where I was like, yeah, he does. He's not, he's not bad. He's not like a liability, but are are we really going to say like, Oh, you know, he's played fantastically since like when he comes up, no, he, but he doesn't put you like at a clear deficit against another team. Like he can handle an NHL workload, but I wouldn't say he's like, He's not making a difference. Um, but you're right, because after Jack Ashan, who, who are you calling up? Like, I mean, I guess more like, but like you don't have Akanai you don't have Zaboro. And without Grizzlick, you start getting to, you know, the depth part of your, your defense core where you're going into Providence. Right. Yeah. It's like Tyler Lewington, who's, you know, he, he was kind of like this year's Jared Tenori when he was up here where it's like, okay, that's fine. But like, you don't want to be turned, but not even, but, but not even like that much of an impact as Tenorti had. Cause Tenorti played regularly at one point during the season and then came in, in the playoffs where I do not, like, if you're playing Lewington in the playoffs, like, what are we doing? Like, right. You're clearly not going to be doing so hot. So. Yeah. One, one thing I particularly so does- like about Ashan is like, he can be, he can almost be like the designated one for one replacement for Grizzly. Where, like, you know, we've had these questions even going back to Krug and Grizzly, but now, like, if you had a lineup where Grizzly and Ashan are both ends, like, even though they're different types of players a bit, like, do you want to have, you know, two smaller defensemen like that? But, you know, on this blue line, Grizzly, I mean, let's be honest, like, he's the biggest injury risk. He's the one who's had. Him and Carlo are the ones who have had the most injuries over the years. But Carlo's injuries have tended to be more serious, you know, like the two head injuries last year. Stuff where it's like, like that's a real injury that, yeah, it's going to force anyone out of the lineup. Whereas Grizzly seems to get more of these nagging injuries where it's, you know, he's going to miss a game or two, be off the ice for a week type thing that just seemed to pop up like every every couple of months with him. And it's like if that happens in the playoffs where he's missing, you know, game four of a series, I, like I'm okay throwing a Sean in, in in that situation because he can do some of the same things. Like he, he can be a puck mover. You can use him on the power play if you want, although you know they'll probably use they would use Riley instead. But bring some of those same characteristics, some of that mobility um isn't as good as Grizzly obviously yet. But can at least like imitate some of that, and I think take kind of take his spot in the lineup if needed. Brian on the phone, the what do you what do you think? 
Uh, I was just going to ask. Uh, I agree with everything you guys have said, but um, and yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, but when does uh, Ohio State season end? I'm just curious. <laughs> Kicking the tires on that option too, maybe. Well, uh, Charlie McAvoy, 2017. NCAA tournament is begins late March, so or was it, it's like the weekend of the uh, 26th or something? I think. Um, mm. And Ohio State will be in the NCAA, so they'll play that weekend. So, if you wanted to go down the the Lori route, I mean, you could have almost a month of him. Um, you know, coming in once Ohio State season ends, even if they go to the Frozen Four, because the NHL season is going so late this year, you'd you'd still get a few weeks. I, you know, just kind of like like we talked about with Lysel last week. Like, I don't know if Lori's ready for that jump right now, that might be aggressive, but. Well, it's um, in the situation that he might have to be ready. If you're dealing with a Grizzly or a Carlo injury, you're kind of like, okay, you're really considering it at that point. You're, you're hoping for the best. If you, if your options are Lori or Lewington. Yeah. And, and you, you alleviate, you avoid that problem or you avoid having to rush him by going in and getting a defenseman at the deadline, whether that, you know, yeah, everyone would love to get the impact top four guy. It's, you know, breaking news. There aren't a ton of them available. And the ones that might be are going to be very expensive. So, uh, you know, you can do that. Like, it would, it would obviously help. But it might be more realistic to settle for, you know, a third pairing, fifth, sixth, seventh defenseman who can still help your team, even if it's not as high of an impact player. But at least it's you know, someone who can come in and play regularly if needed, or at the very least provide depth. So jumping back up to the forwards for a second, um, you guys talked about uh, Halla and, you know, if something, if Pasta would go up to the first line or, or there were an injury or something, how fragile it seems Halla is with his positioning, right? Like he seems to, if something, if something goes out of place with the way things currently are, he, uh, he might struggle, right? And I think that's a fair concern. I think that, I think we've kind of seen that. If he's not playing with Hall and Pashnak, you know, he's having a tough time finding his role with other people. Now, if they were to go out and get uh, – and as – I love how as I'm talking, I got a motorcycle uh, driving by me. Anyway, <laughs> I was wondering um, what that was. Like, I'm, in, I'm in the most quiet uh, alleyway you can find. And the second I start talking, here comes this, this moped, like, like I'm in Paris somewhere. Anyway, um, as I was saying before I was rudely interrupted, um, if they were to go out and get an upgrade at center, um, if Eric Halla could play the way Eric Halla is playing right now, but in a third-line role, that's, that, that's Stanley Cup contender quality uh, center depth. Um, that would be what the Bruins would be hoping for in a perfect world. I don't know if that world exists for them. Yeah, or even, uh, even a fourth line. Like Even if you wanted to keep that third line together. Now, I think Holla brings more offense than Trent Frederick, but would you, you know, want to make that switch given that Frederick does seem to be finding his game with Coyle and Smith. But even if you dropped Holla down to fourth line, whether that's on no six left or as a center and no six bump, like depth is good to have. It's, it's, yeah, know, but in that, in that fourth line role, I like Lazar. Yeah, I, I wouldn't take Lazar out. So who are you like, taking out, Felino? Probably. I mean, he's he's played better recently, but you know, yeah, you, you can figure it out. It's it's a good problem to have if you like if you're 
if you're adding a second line center and your big debate is, you know, whether you're taking Nick Felino or Curtis Lazar or Trent Frederick out of the lineup, like, great, that's fine. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> Someone's going to get hurt at some point anyway. So those, those situations tend to resolve, resolve themselves. So to that point about, um, you know, if, if, if they were to do that, do you think there's any smoke with the closed roof fire, Scott? Because I feel like there's probably two or three other suitors that he'd go to before Boston. Uh, yeah, so this comes from uh, Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast said that he believes the Bruins are one of the teams that have kicked kicked the tires on Claude Giroux. Uh, he said it's, you know, basically what he said is like it's a tough market to read. If he had to pick a favorite right now, he'd go with the Florida Panthers which is a little bit different from what the kind of rumors and reports have been for a long time, which was that the Colorado avalanche were the favorites and drew wanted to go to Colorado the most, but uh, Friedman said he thinks Colorado might have its eyes elsewhere. I don't know exactly who that would be, but you know, I mean, Giroux is always going to be like a real just luxury for them. You're talking about a team that already has Nathan McKinnon and Nazem Kadri at center. You know, Drew can play the wing too. Maybe that was their idea. Or he's the third line center and they have one of the best one, two, threes in that I can think of. Um, Florida makes a lot of sense. He would go right in as their number two center, which probably bumps Sam Bennett down to third line, which I think is maybe a better fit for him. So that makes a lot of sense. And that's obviously a team that can compete for a cup, which is going to be a priority for Drew at this point in his career. Um, but the Bruins also make a lot, like, I think if the Bruins are seriously in, even though, you know, they're a little lower than Florida in the standings, if, cause Drew has a full no move. So he, he gets to essentially pick and get final say on where he goes. Same situation but, as Taylor Hall last yeah, deadline. But if you're telling them, Hey, we, we envision you coming in and playing with Taylor Hall and David Postonok, I don't think he's going to be like, Nope, not for me. Like, I'm not going there. Like, I think I think that's going to be pretty appealing to him. So if the Bruins wanted to be serious players, I think, you know, they could be just as an appealing as option as, as anyone else. And if but they can for- convince him, by the way, if they can convince him, since he has that no move, same thing with Taylor Hall. He Because he gets to decide where he goes, you don't have to give up as much to get him because you're only negotiating with one or two teams. You're not you're not dealing with a whole pool of um, like, oh, how can we get the best deal? Because at the end of the day, Giroux is the one who makes the decision. Yeah, if Florida, Florida could have more to offer. I know they've dangled Owen Tippett out in a bunch of deals who was a regular in their lineup early in the season. Didn't, you know, was, was certainly one of their, top prospects didn't quite establish himself at the NHL level. And I think he's back in the AHL now, but a highly touted prospect that it sounds like they're willing to part with in the right deal. So that's, you know, probably an area where Florida could beat you. Cause I'm not sure that the Bruins have that sort of like NHL ready player. If the flyers are looking, you know, cause another thing Freeman says like the flyers don't, don't view this as a long rebuild. Like they want to try to get back at it next year. And Owen Tibbet is a guy who will be, should be NHL ready next year, especially on a team whose roster isn't as loaded as Florida's is. Uh, I don't know if the Bruins have that kind of impact young player, 
that they could throw in a deal is going to be ready yeah. next but summer. that's that's if florida is like honest like if he says okay to trade me to any of these three teams yes you're right but if he decides for whatever reason they're out of the conversation they're out of the conversation sure yeah but i mean i feel you know, like go ahead brian Oh, no, I was just going to say, I feel like aside from Colorado, right, and maybe a Tampa, which, like, I don't even know what their cap situation is, so it might not be possible. If the conversation, uh, if, the, if the choice is Giroux, I feel like while the Bruins might not boast the most lethal roster of the top contenders, I do think that there is some weight to be carried in their personnel and their pedigree of being year after year playoff contenders and just having that experience. Like for example, does Claude Drew look at Florida and say, yeah, they got a great roster, but I don't know how proven that they are. Whereas he knows what Bergeron and Martian and Pasternak and McAvoy, they can do in those situations. That I think is in favor of the Bruins, despite not having the, the maybe the most um, complete roster right now. Yeah. Tampa, by the way, has like no cap space. They're projected to have only a hundred thousand dollars in deadline cap space. So they will, if they're going to make any moves, they're going to have to either move out salary or figure out one of their uh, loopholes again. Before we keep going, I want to correct. So I said Ohio State, you know, will be in the NCAA tournament. They may not be. Just want to note that uh, Mason, Laura, and Ohio State, they're on the bubble, right? They're like 15th on the pairwise, which is the mathematical calculation used to determine the yeah, 16 team will- field. All of that will come down to how they do in the playoffs. Like they yeah. can, move, they can move up that it, it, it's readjusted every day after every game. So um, yeah, they yeah. can move up that. Uh, and also, if they get knocked out early, then they pretty much guarantee they're not making the tournament. Yeah. And also like how many upset conference champions there are, because they're going to be, you know, is the number 15 team going to get in as an at large, or does it get bumped up to, you know, 14, 13 is like the last at large bid type thing. So. And I only bring That's this up because Scott Scott was able to enlighten us uh, recently that the Bruins might be looking at him to to come out of uh, Ohio for next season. So if that's the case, and their season ends, and the Bruins still have a month left of the regular season, or whatever it ends up being, I understand you don't want to rush him, but at the same time, I don't know if a couple of game trial is really going to rush him. I mean, it's not that big a deal. It's not yeah, even well. And you also, know. also keep in mind that that would burn a year of his entry level contract, which they they were willing to do with McAvoy because they rightly believed he was ready to make an impact already. So that would also come down to what is their evaluation of Lori? Do they think he's going to be enough of an impact player to justify burning year one of his ELC this year? Well, they thought McAvoy could have been ready at the in the moment for to be an impact player. But they also were down, I feel like, four defensemen going into a playoff series. So if they didn't have those, those injuries on the back end, I think we're talking McQuaid, Krug was out, uh, Colin Miller went down the second that the first period started. Um, they, they were banged up. So if they were healthy and they still felt he could be an impact guy, they still may have not brought him up. It was, it was really the perfect storm with, with, uh, with Charlie. Yeah, yep. Um, now, one thing I can tell you guys is that, and I don't know if it's just the euphoria from the, from, the, from the California sun out here, but I was watching the Bruins game yesterday, and I started to get that little twinkle in my eye, that little butterfly in my stomach for the first time all season because playoffs are around the corner. 
Aren't you guys starting to get that vibe now watching these Bruins games that uh, the games are starting to pick up and they're really starting to go in a high gear now? Like, can't you, and maybe it's the, the, the shitty NHL Stanley Cup logo that was released too. But I don't know. Just the fact that it just looks like a Los corner, Angeles. It's starting to hit me. It just looks like a Los Angeles Kings Stanley Cup logo. Like, <laughs> so weird. It does. Um, it does. But are you guys getting excited though now? Starting to, starting to feel that it's, it's starting to come around now? I think that'll hit me more after the trade deadline. Like, it's, it's hard for me to really get to that place before the trade deadlines come. It's just, it's so weird because, like, it's just such a late season a late trade deadline late end to the regular season but in general like it definitely feels like that time of year like you add in college hockey getting to its tournaments you got march madness starting in basketball you know like like all those things that make that like that we lost in 2020 that got ruined because covid hit right at that exact time it's like it's all back like it's like oh yeah like this is this is that time of the year where like all the awesome stuff is happening um so yeah, so I just have that feeling in general, but also like recognizing that it's kind of like all delayed a few weeks or at least a couple weeks from the NHL perspective. Where yeah, we still have two weeks till till the deadline. Yeah, and we still have you know over a month and a half of the regular season left. Does the deadline fall on St. Patrick's Day or or, or the St. Patrick's Day parade? Uh, no, the, I, like I, I think it's Monday. the deadline's the twenty first. Yeah. I think I think St. Patrick's. I think. The St. Patrick's Day Parade in Boston, I think, is the twentieth. I believe that's Sunday. So, so Brian's just going to be real hungover when they uh, when they make their <laughs> no. move. I was just trying to figure out if a bunch of people are going to be blackout at a parade, checking their phones for the deadline stuff. Yeah, and it wouldn't be the first time we got some big news in Boston on St. Patrick's Day, huh? Why? What was the last one? I forget. Um. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so I just, I, I truly forgot. I don't know. It's been. Uh, Tom Brady is so far removed from from the storylines the last few years now. Yeah, it's like the it was like the first week that COVID we realized COVID was like going to destroy our lives for over a year. It's like it was everyone, just a bad day. Everyone's got a lockdown in their house, and oh, by the way, uh, Tom Brady's leaving. Mm-hmm. And have then a good, have a good time, Boston. First thought: Oh my God, I really hope they don't sign Cam Newton. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So oh, I was oh. I was really disappointed at that, but um. No, I, Brian, I, I know what you're talking about, though. Like, I know, obviously, we don't know the full roster because what Scott's saying about the trade deadline. But I, I know what Brian's saying because I was thinking the same thing last night, which was all of a sudden the physicality is at a playoff level. So every single guy on the team was was finishing their checks. Even even Pasternak recently just decided, like, he's, he's finishing his checks and he's going and he's being more physical. It was a, like a different look. They're a physical team, but it was still just like you could tell it ramped up yesterday. Um, and so that and then you get excited when you see Smith getting a hat trick and DeBrus getting a hat trick and you're you're seeing the lines click like something is just clicking. And you're and in my head, I think this is what Brian's talking about, too. You're picturing what that would look like against insert playoff team here that you play against like insert yeah. Carolina like you know what I mean just like what that would look like against well and also also it's really exciting to think about watching Jeremy Swayman in the playoffs given how how he's been playing like, absolutely that's, you know I think people were were excited about him anyways I think people would have been excited had he started last postseason you know gotten a game or two at some point but like now you're seeing it in in year two over a longer stretch and 
you're seeing him play not just like the clear number one for the Bruins, but like one of the best goalies in the league. And that that has to give you belief. Like the, there's so many teams that have question marks going to play out. You know, we've covered it here basically like unless you're, you know, unless you're Tampa with Vasilevsky, or if you want to say that Igor Shostakin, even though he doesn't have the playoff experience, if he's earned that just because of how unbelievable of a season he's having. But like outside of that, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of teams that are are going in feeling great about their goaltending. And I think the Bruins are starting to get there where yet yeah, you're not going to know until he actually does it right. Playoffs are a different animal. You, you have to see a goalie do it first, but just based on how Swayman's playing, it's, it's a reason to be excited and to think like, Hey, this, this looks like a kid who could get hot and, you know, carry you maybe further than, than you should go. Right. Like if you, if you want to do the whole match up your rosters and, you know, uh, the Bruins are a little inferior on offense, a little inferior on defense. Well, if they had the edge in goaltending, that that cancels out a whole lot. Well, question to the two of you then. This this popped in my head when we were talking about Giroux. Does your goaltender factor into if you got a guy deciding where to go? Like I was thinking, oh, Giroux might see, you know, Pasta and Hall and and just be like, okay, Swayman could be a guy that that gets us further. So I don't know if what you guys think of that would, would Claude Giroux, who's spent his career with the Philadelphia Flyers care about goaltending. <laughs> that maybe, is, yeah, maybe. That is the question right there. See, see, yeah. yeah. So it, it could, it could tip the scales, you know, that, that, you know, Swayman keeps playing good, maybe helps out, you know, the, the deadline moves. Well, yeah. And, and, and look, to, to Scott's point earlier, he said something along the lines of like, he'll get really excited once a trade deadline kind of comes and goes. And that's kind of like, that's kind of my point though. Like the fact that they're playing so well with this current group that we have said all year, isn't really it is kind of why I got excited. Cause I was like, well, they're starting to, they're starting to pull it together now as the current group and they still are going to add to some point. And I think like the best way to describe what you guys are talking about when it comes to Swayman and net and, you know, Martian and Bergeron and Pashnak and McAvoy, are the Bruins the most complete team in the NHL going into this deadline? No. But where they are complete, they're pretty fucking complete. Like, they're, they're, they're very complete in goal. They're very complete with high-end talent. Um, so that's why it's like there are, some, there are teams that are incomplete, but they aren't as complete in other areas that the Bruins are. They have a lot of pieces in place. They just got to find a way. And I, I know that's kind of why some people are like, well, yeah, he's going to compliment them. Well, yes. I would like to see maybe a little bit more than just complimenting them, but um, yeah, and, and, and I, I'm very excited to see Swayman in, in the playoffs. Like, I think that's absolutely the next factor. Yeah, and and you know, I agree. Like we touched on a little earlier, but yeah, I think you need to do, or ideally, you would do more than compliment, right? More than depth. I, I want that. My, I think a realistic deadline is like one impact player, whether that's you know, top six slash middle six forward, or, you know, someone who can play top four and D and play 20 minutes a night, like one of those guys. And then depth, you know, if, so if your impact plays a forward depth on defense, if your impact plays a defenseman, maybe it's, you know, someone who can plug in on a, in like a third line role or something like that. Um, or, or maybe even another depth defenseman, like, 
you can't have too many defensemen. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would still want to see them get that impact player. I think they need something that's going to lift them up. You know, like I said, like it's, can you compete with any team as constructed right now? Yeah, I think you probably can. But if you get that impact player, like that really just injects so much life into the group. I, I think it, it, you know, gives the players here reason to believe and to like really kind of set sets in like, okay, we're going for it. Like Don, Don went out and got us someone who, who elevates the team. Um, you know, we should also be prepared for the possibility that it is only depth. You know, maybe it's just a depth forward and depth defenseman and that's, all you can get done. And, you know, I don't think that that's, I don't think that would be like season ending. You know, I don't think we, I'd come on here and say like, Oh, well season over, they couldn't, you know, do enough. No, you, you still see, you know, where that leaves you in the playoffs. You'd still have a chance, but, but it would be, it would be a bit disappointing for sure. God, this seems like a great time to plug your article for tomorrow. Oh yeah. So I'm going to, I'm doing something, uh, looking at kind of breaking down defense targets um into tiers of like high impact players worth targeting which you know means top four guy depth defenseman worth worth targeting and then defenseman to stay away from uh which i think is an interesting category because i think some of the guys i'm putting in there are some of the bigger names available that you hear a lot about like i'm staying away from ben Sherratt. the still reports that like it's going to take a first round pick to get him, which I just think is insane. I don't think he's anywhere close to being worth that or even like a second round pick. I don't want anything to do with Ben Sherratt. I don't want anything to do with Rasmus Ristolainen, who apparently the Flyers are trying to assign to an extension anyways, which I don't get because I don't think he's very good. Uh, Both the Flyers. Yep. Uh, I'm also staying away from Jeff Petrie, who I like more than those guys as a player but is having a is having a down year in Montreal and has three more years after this at over 6 million a year. So I wouldn't want him just because of that contract. Um, So those are some of the guys I'm staying away from. And then uh, target like the high impact guys that I would like for them to target. Obviously Jacob Chikrin, you know, we've covered him before he's been talked about plenty going to cost a ton to get him, but he's young and he's locked up on a team friendly deal. That's the kind of player to me that is worth investing in and parting with real assets for Uh, Hampus Lindholm, you know, looks like he's probably available because I don't know if Anaheim, I think it seems like the ducks are either going to sign him or trade him. I don't think they're going to run out the clock and ride out the end of the year and let him just leave in free agency. So, you know, if they're not willing to give him like, five, I don't know what it would take, five, six-year deal. He's probably available. He's going to be expensive again, but that's a sort of like all-around left-shot defenseman that I think is worth going after. Um, who else? Did, oh, Mark Giordano I like. He seems like uh, of the kind of these high-impact guys, he seems like the one who's most likely to get moved. And because he's 38 and he's an unrestricted free agent, he shouldn't cost as much. Now the question is, is does he just want to go back to Calgary? Are, are the flames going to try to get him? And he just says, yeah, that's where I'm going. He's Blank. kind of an interesting case too. He was 
picked up in by Vegas in their first year and then Seattle in their first year. So he uh, he was like in Vegas, was he? I don't think he was. Wasn't he? Was he not? No, nah, he was always Calgary. I don't, re- was, I don't recall him being in nah. Vegas. Yeah, his whole career was in Calgary. Okay, yeah, no. What am I thinking? No, he never ended up but, in Vegas. But the, East, but the East Coast would still be a big transition for him, right? I mean, that's yeah. something that if he, if, if, he, if, if he were to be the deciding factor himself, um, he might, you know, I'm sure he would take some, that would, that would be uh, against the Bruins or any Eastern Conference teams. I mean, he's been in Seattle and Calgary. I'm, I'm fairly certain those are pretty much the same time zone, maybe an hour difference, but that would yeah, be one thing. But difference. yes, I like the player. I, I like the player. Um, I think, you know, I think he'd be a nice little fit with the Bruins. So I, I, I'm, I'm anxious to read this article, Scott. I, I hope you didn't give too much away on it, but no, I don't um, think yeah, so. I, I, feel like, I feel like Scott was just, I said, tease it. And he was like, here's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still got, the, there'll still be a couple other names in each category. And then, my depth guys, I didn't touch on any of them. So there's still plenty of and, and Brian Brian's gonna write the, his refute article about how you're wrong about Ben Sherrod or whatever Brian's oh, gonna have his own. Oh oh, oh I, I I actually agree with Scott. I would never oh, there you a go. first rounder for Ben Sherrod. No, yeah, I would it's all about price for him. I mean, like if it's like a third rounder, uh, if it was a late second I don't know what the Bruins second round if it's a late second rounder, I mean maybe, I don't know, but like definitely not a first at all um or any prospect of significance yeah or player of significance you know so it, 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 he would come down to price for me and i and to scott's point his ask their asking price of him is nothing i would i would be willing to give up for but i do like um obviously chicken i'm on board and giordano uh yeah i mean those two guys and, and the latter being like scott said he would be a cheap option you would think um if it comes down to intangibles and he wants to go back to calgary the bruins hands are tied there right Plus, we know Seattle likes like every Bruins depth player from the last four years, apparently. So they're, <laughs> give they're them, just give loaded them with them. So. Oh my god! Could you imagine if the Bruins trade deadline is just a big package to bring back Johansson, <laughs> Lozon, and, and who was it? Coolman uh, or Zarnick? Whatever the hell it was. Coolman, Ryan Donato. Donato. Oh, here's here, here's a, here's a Seattle name for you guys. I actually saw it bounced around. How would you like Jordan Eberle, possibly? Uh. I would take him. I haven't, so I haven't followed super closely what he's doing this year, but generally I've liked Jordan Eberle over the years. And I feel like that's a player you can put on like any of your top three lines and he won't be out of place. He was pretty good against the Bruins last year. Now he comes to Boston, uh, you know, Taylor Hall is, is, is Eberle a center or a wing? He's a wing. He's a he's right a wing. wing. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I mean, you're not going to split up Paul and Pashnak because of the Hall and Eberle connection. But you know there is familiarity there um, on like a, on a PP two or something or a PP who knows. But Everly was good against the Bruins last year in the playoffs, and he, you know he could still play at a high level in the right role. Absolutely, I, I saw that. I saw that idea bounced around. I don't even know if there was any cred, uh, credibility to it, but um, like I, I would imagine that the Kraken are trying to. They'll probably try to release some um, some heavier contracts, right? I mean that's the whole point of of why they drafted the way they did. They knew they were probably weren't going to be a very good team and. I think that they're going to try to be big time sellers at the deadline. I think it's best for their franchise. Yeah. So Everly has two years left after this 5.5 million a year. That's Oof. a, a yeah. little steep, a little more than I'd like going into. So he's 31 now, but 15 goals, 17 assists this year. Like, you know, playing on a team where 
he doesn't have uh you know he's not on a line with the Bergeron Marshan Taylor Hall anywhere so um right I don't totally hate you know probably wouldn't be like a the priority for me but I don't totally totally hate it yeah I don't think that'd be a bad line right Marshan Bergeron Everly would it be a bad line would it be terrible but who knows I think something like that comes into play if you do end up moving DeBrusque. And and maybe it's all maybe it's all the same deal. Like maybe, you know, that's where maybe DeBrusque goes to Seattle. But you know, if you free and up DeBrusque then it's just the Seattle Bruins over there. Yeah. Like, like if you free up DeBrusque's salary, then that becomes much more manageable to to bring Eberly on. DeBrusque for Eberly. <laughs> DeBrusque for Eberly and uh Giordano. Let's do it. Up, two for one. <laughs> Um, I saw I saw something else. Uh, I retweeted it, but former former NHL great John Scott, former NHL All Star as well. Um, on his on his uh, uh, MVP on his podcast, All Star <laughs> MVP. Uh, on his podcast, I don't know if he was getting this intel from somebody or if it's just his opinion, but he he was saying that um, there was a quote that he tweeted out from his podcast that nobody wants to finish first in the Eastern conference because they don't want to play the Bruins. They all want to play the Capitals. I just found that interesting because I, it's a reminder that we watch the Bruins so closely and we see their faults, we see their strength, but you know, sometimes we're so close to them and we over criticize them. We kind of forget. Yeah. You don't want to play this team. <laughs> like they're, they're, they are probably one of the, one of the worst, you know, wild card teams to probably play. Um, even as currently constructed, that since they've implemented this wild card rule, I feel like in the NHL. Yeah, format, and, a, and a lot of that obviously comes from their experience too. And you know, whatever you want to say about the Bruins in recent years, that they, they've always gotten out of the first round. What, what is it? Four years in a row, they've at least won one playoff series. So yeah, so you're willing mm-hmm. to you're willing to take your chances against uh, yeah. Toronto, who never makes it out of the first. Yeah, or or a Capitals team that lost in five to the Bruins in the first round Mm -hmm. last year and has major goaltending questions. Um, I I think whoever finishes first in the East is going to get the Capitals because I think the Bruins are going to stay. They're ahead of Washington now, and I would expect them to stay there. I just think they're a better team than Washington, so they should be able to stay in seventh. And and they're four points up on them as of right now. And the Bruins yeah. are three points behind Toronto for the third spot. Yeah. And I definitely think they I can mean, catch Toronto too. Like Toronto, another team that has just massive goaltending questions right now. I also may have said that backwards. Um, you know, like whoever that, that first and second seed, they just don't want to play the Bruins. So if yeah. you finish first, you'd be playing the Capitals. So they don't want to fit. They want to finish first. Like that, that battle for first is almost, is more important than like, you know, any, any other, a year like that's that's the thing they just like that's the battle you just want to avoid the Bruins so um you know assuming that the Bruins are still in that wild card one spot then yeah whoever finishes second would have to face the Bruins I said that backwards but my point was still you know received and yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's uh just validity that the Bruins you know they really like you know there, there's really not much separating any of these Eastern Conference teams uh and the Brewers are no different yeah Agreed. Like, if anything, I think, you know, as I mentioned, Washington might be the team that, you know, is kind of a clear eighth in in the East. And, you know, the Bruins may very well be closer to the teams in front of them than than Washington, if you wanted to to try to do tiers like that. Um, yeah, it's it's 
it's going to be like a pretty jumbled mess and and you're going to get four pretty good first round series no matter what um you know and as far as the bruins go like i think you you want to climb if you can you want to catch toronto and pass them because that at least opens up the possibility of possibly getting home ice in the second round as far as you know who you'd play it you can't tell right now like tampa and florida are neck and neck so it's not like you know i, I think if tampa were running away from florida there was a gap there i'd say yeah, you want to get up to third and face Florida, but but right now they're one point apart, and actually Florida's at first. Yeah, I, they're going to go back and forth the whole way. I would, I would expect. I think, yeah, and then, the, but and then they're also for the top seed in uh, in the East. They're going to be going back and forth with Carolina, who has yeah. it right now. I mean, when you look at the the Eastern playoff landscape, the way that it currently is, I think you look. I think you look at Tampa Bay. You look at Pittsburgh. You look at Boston. Because those are the teams that they've been there and they've done it uh, through the good and the bad. Like all, those teams all know what it feels like to be down three one, be up three one, travel on the road, travel you know, play in front of home crowds. Like those are things that like Toronto they have a little bit of that, but only in the first round and obviously not successful. The Panthers, as good as they are, what happens if they get slapped in the face in the first two games at home? and then go to a road environment. Like, those are things that, you know, and I know they played Tampa in the playoffs last year, uh, but it was kind of a COVID-type situation. But um, as good as some of these teams are on paper in this regular season, it's a different animal. And so I just think – I agree with Scott. Like, I think Washington is clearly probably the eighth team. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a fun playoff. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited for it. I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to hit on before we kind of wrap this up. But I'll, I'll throw it to you. No, I think uh, I think we're good. We'll let you get yeah. back to uh, scrounging around uh, <laughs> Sequoia National Park. <laughs> All right. Well, Enjoy the sun. Get it tan for us. Oh, I'm very excited. I mean, I've, I've the biggest day for me is tomorrow uh, because I'm golfing uh, Pelican Hill, which is a beautiful course, and I'm a big golf nut. So I'm very excited for that. Um, other than that, it's just been a pretty low key, low key thing. Um, tried to go to Disneyland yesterday. Apparently you got to get tickets like two years in advance for they, if you're a California resident, you can get in, um, on a day pass. And I tried to barter with the lady. I was like, listen, I've been living here for four days. Like <laughs> I'm not a resident yet. <laughs> um, but that, that didn't really fly. So, um, but no, my, uh, show my, we showed my sister around LA. She had never been out here before. So we went to, uh, we showed her all the, you know, went to Burbank and, you know, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, all that stuff. Um, went to San Diego one day. So just kind of a uh, hopping around and yeah, yeah. Right now I'm, I'm, I'm rock climbing Yosemite. So I'll have to get off the phone and I uh, thank the audience for listening to episode 84 and we'll talk to you guys next week. Sound good. Sounds good.